Yeah, this is conversations. Um, Kira's going to plot her quantum thing for 2020. We're recording on 8-4-2019. My, um, <clears throat> my current idea is that um, uh, this is going to be a story about saving Sirius Black. Um, and he will be my central character. Um, and I'm not sure about the POV from the beginning, but I think I need an alternate POV when I start. But uh, I'll make that decision later. Uh, my my basic premise is, is that when Arcturius Black dies, which is in um, 1991, um, that... Uh, the Black family magic settles on Sirius and he becomes the Earl of Blackmore in Azkaban. Um, and because uh, the House of Black is a, is, a, is a senior house in the, in the, I've already forgot how, how to say it. Wiz in Gamot. Wiz in Gamot? Wiz in Gamot, I think. Okay. Um, <clears throat> they don't have a quorum without him. And they can't take the title away from him because he's not been convicted of a crime. So they make the decision to take him out of Azkaban, heal him up, and put him on trial. It would be a sham trial because Dumbledore is trying to control this process. And he expects Sirius Black to name him as his proxy so that he can further control the situation and get Sirius Black back in Azkaban because he doesn't want him out. Um, <clears throat> which is actually my headcanon. I think Dumbledore knew always all along that Sirius Black was innocent. Yeah, I agree. And I think he hoped that the Dementors would kill him before he got a chance to meet Harry. And then once Harry had met him, he had to um, mitigate the circumstances as much as he could. Uh, that's just my headcanon. Um <clears throat> I can write it different ways than I have, but that's my legitimate headcanon for the actual events of the series that Dumbledore always knew that Sirius Black was innocent. Well, he at least knew he wasn't the secret keeper. Right. And he, because he should remember who he got the secret from. Don't you? Right. I mean, so. He cast the Fidelis. Well, but even if he forgot, that's even it. if like, even if for casting the Fidelis, because let's say casting the Fidelis makes you forget. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, shouldn't you still remember He's who eventually gave you the secret? Yeah. Although there's so little logic around the Fidelis that I don't even know what to do with it. It's really dumb. It's a really dumb piece of magic. Uh, it's it's just not thought out well at all. I mean, I don't even know what to do with it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so they get Sirius Black out of Azkaban, and they get him to St. Mungo's and they're gonna, you know, treat him and uh Dumbledore's the chief warlock at that point. So it would actually be a conflict of interest for him to take the proxy or even to even try to take the proxy. So he's gonna he's gonna want somebody else to do it, somebody he can control. Dumbledore well, why would Dumbledore assume that he could take the proxy for the House of Black? Well, the thing is, is they don't have a quorum without the House of Black. But Sirius can't sit in the seat because he's on trial. So he's going to have to put somebody else in his seat as a proxy in order for the wizard not to unfreeze. Because that's the uh, whole point. 
The, the whole point is they don't have a quorum, so they can't function. That means they have no choice but to pull him out of Azkaban. And either, because the, what's going to happen is, is that after he settles, the title settles, um, it's their assumption that Malfoy, um, Lucius Malfoy, can, can, proc, can regent the title for his son. And his son is in line to inherit the title. Yeah. And, um, but the Wizard Be Not rejects, rejects Lucius Malfoy because there's already a Lord. Uh, there, uh, there's already Earl Blackmore and that Earl is sitting in Azkaban and the Wizard Be Not freezes and they can't do a damn thing. So they have to get Sirius Black out of Azkaban, heal him up, put him on trial and strip his title so Lucius Malfoy can claim it. Okay. I'm curious about the premise that um, that they don't have a quorum and that that's the, that's the, what is the catalyst for all this? Mm -hmm. Because that, that means that, that the, the Wizengamot or Wizenagamot is hinging at any moment on one person dying. If they're, if they're that close to the edge. Because they've, that means if any, if one person can't come to court, they can't function. One person. That seems a little. Let me think about it. Well, what other reason would they? Well, if you're looking for something to lock them up, right? I'm assuming you're looking at because you're looking for something to freeze the Wizenagamot. You're looking for something to to freeze functioning. So, if it's a numbers game, by one person. But what if it's not a numbers thing? What if it's that? Um, Somehow, I don't know the mechanism, but that somehow, um, if the family magic is has settled, that 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 person, because maybe the family magics, there's like some sort of bond or something to the judicial system, to the whatever the magic behind the Wizenagamot is. But when the family magic settles it's on Sirius, there's no oath between Sirius. So he's like he's like there's this, this unrepresented. Um, it's my headcanon that um, Arthur Pendragon is the is the was in the knot. What I did in the legacy, that's my headcanon. That he is there's a spirit version of him, and his magic is controlling that body, or founded that body. Um, and one of the reasons why he emerged in the legacy is that he was really desperately tired of being ignored by the corruption that was taking place around him and they weren't paying attention to him and he gave them so many chances and they kept fucking up and he's like, well, I'm going to fix you. <laughs> and he gives them a child King. So if, where do family magics come from? Um, in, in the pocket guardian, um, Harry's uh, ma uh, family magic has existed for so long that it's that it's become sentient and taken a magical form, which is I forget her name, I forget my character's name. Isn't that terrible? Mm -hmm. I forget my AOC's names all the time, so I can't okay. judge you. Okay. So anyway, he that it's taken the form of this Griffin. Um. So it's my head canon that family magic um is that when um that it's it's sentient because of age and so there are 
you know, the ancient and noble families in Britain, Potter, Black, um, Malfoy's from actually from France, but uh, the other families, um, their magic as they grow and grow their families and have children and the magic spreads out among their bloodline, um, it gathers experience from its members and eventually gains sentience for good or bad because it is influenced by their by its members and vice versa if um the family magic has a way of encouraging like magical gifts and uh maybe even like ideas about how magic works in their family um magical secrets uh secret abilities and and talents um Parcel magic probably would be something that's part of sentient magic where the, the family magic might decide, well, you know what? They really can't handle parcel magic either because of their morality or their magical power or, and then just says, no, um, you don't, you don't get that one. <laughs> you don't get that gift. And so sentient magic for me, family magic is like a guardian force within the, within, um, a magical family's line. So family magic probably predates um, in your in your kind of in your head canon. Family magic probably predates the the wizarding mod. Yeah, it it predates every yeah any kind of government. Yeah, absolutely. And apparently, the wizard the wizarding the blah was formed um, in medieval times. Okay, like probably before even the foundation of Hogwarts or during the foundation of Hogwarts. So there's just something about there's good. I think, I think you need some kind of mechanism between either family magic or between the title and the functioning of the, the spells that make the Wazenegamot work where, um, where the family magic and, or the title settling on Sirius, uh, while he created creates an impasse, it creates a, a problem that the family magic can't get around. Uh, not the family that the, 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 the laws of the Wazenagamot cause things to shut down. That it it creates a like a state. Maybe it's like, Lucius's false claim. Yeah, he could come in and just claim pro a proxy. It could just be a matter of course. The, the Earl of Blackmore has died. I'm coming in to claim proxy on behalf of on behalf of his son. And entering of the proxy causes everything to seize up. Because the wizard would not seize it as fraud. Right. Because it knows that through whatever magical pacts that the original families made with the Wizenagamot, it knows that Lucius actually doesn't have the right to enter that proxy. And so they have to figure out, then they have to go to the bank and figure out who actually is the current Earl. Because the Wazenagamot says, nope, there's somebody else who's the Earl, and you you just, there's fraud here. Um, and then that's when they discover no. it's settled on Sirius. I just think you're going to run into a problem like logistically, if things always seize up over one person not being present. That yeah. means that they, you know, they can't be out of country if there's a session. It, it's just, a, it would be a logistical pain in the butt. But also on par with magicals. Well, that too. <laughs> but it like, could be that their reduced number because of war and mismanagement and uh, inbreeding that 
that they've been reduced to this number of people and it is the minimum they can have for a quorum. It's a very dangerous circumstance to be in, but not one out of line with the rap with the with the world building that J.K. Rowling did. But I do like the idea of this um of Lucius trying to claim and the wizard but not clearing it it a fraud. Um in locking everything up. That makes that's better. Um and it would also prevent me from having to deal with that whole quorum thing later. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. We'll mark this a no. And go with the fraud. Now, the question becomes is, does it kill him? Um, I would think if he doesn't know that it's fraud, probably not. Because uh, he could legitimately think that he has the right to do what he's doing. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, if he thinks that Draco, if he legitimately thinks that Draco's next in line, <clears throat> I think it'd be reasonable for him to, yeah, for, for some, by some measure of reasonable to come in and say that, you know, as the heir apparent for, or the heir for the, the Blackmore seat that Lucius is filing a proxy and the magic you know, behind the Wazenigamot goes, oh, I don't think so. There, <laughs> That's, there's, yeah, yeah, no, no, dude. Somebody else is the Earl, because what if when, when, um, what's his face died, um, Arcturus Black died, what if the ring just appeared right on Sirius, Sirius's finger? It will, yeah, that's, and, yeah. And they don't even know that it's there because I doubt that they, you know, check their prisoners that closely. No. It's, it's, it's my, it's, 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 I'd like to think that not only would the ring appear on his hand, but the family magic would assess him and see how bad off he is and start to work to heal him even before he's removed from Azkaban. So he's got enough mental awareness to know immediately that he needs a powerhouse on his behalf. He needs somebody to come in and take over and get things right for him because it's not, he's not ready and he can't trust any of them. He can't trust Dumbledore. He can't trust. He certainly can't trust Lucius Malfoy. He can't trust Narcissa. Um, he needs. He needs somebody else. Armand Deering. Armand Deering. Yeah, I mean, because he's such a bastard, right? And he's uh, honestly, honestly, out of all my OCs that I have in Harry Potter, he is the most entertaining because he can say whatever he wants. And everybody else just has to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that really was one of my favorite parts of um, of uh, the legacy was when Harry brought Armand in to be um, the, his, back, uh, yeah. The backup to his father. And he's just sort of like, I know you all hate him. So if you don't want to deal with him, <laughs> better make sure nothing happens to my father. <laughs> this is this is this is your future punishment for any injury that might take place on my father. <laughs> this is what this is how you will pay for it. <laughs> I'm going to inflict Armand Daring on you, which is like yes, inflict away. Armand is amazing. So yeah, I think that he will. Um, so. <sighs> How does Sirius Black know Armand Deering and why does he pick him? Oh, well, oh, oh, what if Armand Deering is Sirius Black's godfather? 
Oh, that could be interesting. But the question becomes is why didn't he um, protest Sirius's imprisonment? No one did, not even his own grandfather. Yeah, no, nobody did. That's that's the unfortunate truth. Well, they could have. I mean, I like to write it that Arcturus, you know, tried um, to protect Sirius, but that he just wasn't you know, successful or whatever. Um, but you could write it that Arcturus was, you know, that he, that maybe Dumbledore presented Arcturus with supposed proof uh, that. If he gave that proof to Armand Deering too, and Armand Deering found out it was false. Oh. Cause, well, he could have given it just to Arcturus, and Arcturus passed it on to Armand, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like Dar Dumbledore having any any um, direct influence or direct contact with Armand Deering. But Armand Deering would know where it came from. And that's not an enemy that Dumbledore is going to survive. Which I'm not mad about. Armand Deering is a very black and white wizard. He's not a light wizard. He he is gray bordering on dark. Um, but if he was given proof, proof that he believed in, he would he would take it and accept it, be very disappointed in what and what happened with his godson, and move on. Mm -hmm. But when he found out he'd been misled, there would be hell to pay. Yeah, I think it's that that'd be like courting war. That's full on land war in in, in um, Asia right there. Yeah, that's just not something you want to do. Never start a land war in Asia. So, when Sirius is taken to Saint Mungo's, he's. Basically, they, they try to railroad him into making Lucius Malfoy his proxy. Or what? Let's see. Because well, Dumbledore would... can't do it because he's the chief warlock. And he wouldn't want Lucius Malfoy. I mean, he might. Because he would, he would think that Lucius Malfoy would probably be on his side in this particular matter. That they would be of the same mind. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. But they can't force a proxy. I think a forced proxy would be seen as fraud too. And the wizard Benat has already proven Widomagot The Wizzy Court. We'll just call it the Wizzy Court. <laughs> Those old wizards. Because uh, you know, I, think, I think that Dumbledore would want, he would believe that Sirius would be kindly disposed towards him. Because he's arrogant enough to think that, right? And so he's arrogant enough to think that if he goes in and says, and actually this could be interesting, you could have like a double thing going on here. He could be arrogant enough to think that if he goes in and says to Sirius, Arthur Arthur Weasley can proxy for you because I know that you're not well. And you know, Sirius could just be like listening to listening to all of this going, uh-huh. But Lucius Malfoy could have the same idea, which is to think that, well, obviously if Sirius didn't get a trial, 
because that could be news to him. If Sirius didn't get a trial, then Sirius must be angry at Dumbledore because Dumbledore would have had the authority to ensure that Sirius got a trial. And then therefore, maybe not all hope is lost and maybe he can get um, Sirius to um, give the proxy to Narcissa. As a, as, a, as a favored childhood cousin or something. And so they both could try this ploy with Sirius for different ra- different reasons, right? Well, of course, Sirius is going to trust me. He trusts me before the war. Uh, he'll, he'll make whoever I say to be his proxy, his proxy, whether it's, what's his face? Um, that guy. Daedalus oh, Diggle? Yes, yes. Oh, or, um, or Arthur Weasley, or whoever. Whereas Lucius could be going, well, we could we could get he could get it to be he'll he'll easily concede to making it be narcissistic because he'll be furious at Dumbledore, wouldn't he? I would be. So, they could be having the same basic thought, um, and go to present their case to Sirius about you know you got to present a you got to you got to have a proxy, and of course it should be someone you trust from the order. Or, of course, it should be somebody you trust from your own family. Except that's dumb because he doesn't trust anybody in his family. <laughs> but Lucius probably would try to play that argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he would say, how can you trust Dumbledore? He could have seen you have a trial. He had to know you didn't have one. And they would, Lucius would assume that Sirius is gullible because of that whole house bullshit. Well, I think he would think he is gullible... Potentially because of yeah him being a Gryffindor, but he also I would and think also vulnerable because of vul- the torture yeah. he's been through. He's been exposed to Dementors for a decade. Yeah, he's going to think that he can do whatever he wants. Actually, you don't. If you want it, you could kind of like make. Um, I don't know. But Sirius could like be feeling some things out with Dumbledore and say, Where's where's Harry? I want to see him. And Dumbledore's like, Oh, he's taking care Arcturus, of him. Like, when does when does Arcturus black die? What's the date on that? It's all I know is that it's in nineteen ninety one. Um I don't think even when I did Slytherin Black, I don't think I got a firm date of death on him. And I looked, but I'll double check. He was born in 1901 and died in 1991. Let's look at the... Um, it's a, it, The only reference apparently is in the Black, is in the black Family Tree. It's, yeah, I, I think that's all it says. It's 91. But because I remember I when I did the character, I was super... I, I went way overboard with the research for my character bios for... Um, um, Slytherin Black, and all I could, all I've got in, yeah, all I've got in my dates is that he died in 1991, which of course I'm doing time travel, so it's not particularly relevant. But I was still trying to have, um, yeah. So if you, I think it could be interesting. You you could do something interesting both ways. Whether it's Hogwarts is already in session and Harry's in his first year, that could be interesting. Because Sirius would have the opportunity to interrupt a lot of stuff that's already been put into 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 play, or it could be earlier in the year, and Harry hasn't doesn't know anything about magic yet, which would be a completely different dynamic for them meeting.
because it could be an instant source like doubling down on the distrust if Harry is still with if, if he's at home if he's not in, in in Hogwarts yet and he's at home with the uh the Dursleys so if I have him die say like in January of 1991 Harry Potter's still on Privet Drive right he doesn't finish primary school until July, until July of that year. Because if Sirius asks him, if he says, where's Harry? And eventually Dumbledore admits he's with his aunt and uncle. And Sirius could be, you know, his family magic could have helped him enough along mentally that he could look at Dumbledore and goes, that wasn't in James and Lily's will. Why isn't Harry with, you know, this person or this person or this person? And then he could... Dumbledore could make up some excuse like we never found a will or uh, the will was sealed or something, whatever, whatever serves your plot better. Mm -hmm. And that could be one of the reasons why he immediately picks another proxy, one who he thinks will be ruthless is because he wants his first thing for his proxy to do is to get custody of Harry. The idea of Armand Deering showing up at Privet Drive. Makes, Ooh. Me, makes me giddy. Oh. It makes me happy too. <laughs> what if, what if, catch this, what if um, Sirius knows that Harry's a parcel mouth because James was? So Armand Deering becomes a double, a double yes at that point. Right. And he, he so well, that's one, maybe that's one of the reasons why he picks Armand. Wait, wait, what if, what if, Armand Deering isn't his godfather, but James Potter's godfather. <gasps> oh, yes. Yes. Because he's a parcel mouth. And so was James. That removes the whole icky feeling I have about him not even going to see his own godson in Azkaban. In fact, if he thought Sirius Black betrayed him, he'd be absolutely fucking furious with Sirius. Sirius is lucky to have survived to get to Azkaban. Yep. And that removes all that. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, why the hell wouldn't he at least visit his own godson? You know? Mm -hmm. and, and that removes it. I like that. And so then he gets summoned to the hospital and he says, and you, have to, you have to decide if, if Armand even knows Harry's also a parcel mouth. Um, he might, he might not. James may have decided to wait to see if the, maybe, maybe James, maybe it, it showed up when maybe they figured it out about Harry after they'd already gone into hiding that he was mm -hmm. a parcel mouth. So serious knew, but um, Armand never well, knew. They, they go into hiding. Um, I think they actually in canon went into hiding the day they died. Or the, the day week. they died? Really? The yeah. Let me look it up. I thought they were in hiding for several months. We know that Harry has his birthday party and they're not in hiding. And that was in July. Really? So. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. It says in the on the wiki that James and Lily were forced to go into hiding after a prophecy was made concerning Voldemort and their infant son. Except that Voldemort, that, that prophecy was made the year before. And we know but they, that. But they find out about it when Severus goes to, to, to Dumbledore. So when does that happen? 
Well, I would think it would have to be in the summer because the the premise would be that he was interviewing somebody for the divination per- position, right? Um, and he was interviewing them at the um, the Hogshead, right? So it, yes, could, be any, it like, could be anywhere from... <laughs> but I think that actually took place in like January. Because the other teacher was retiring and he was getting ahead. But he'd already okay. decided that he wasn't going to hire her when she spouted out the prophecy. Yeah, because um, it, but Snape, it was when Snape figured out that. When did Snape go to Dumbledore? It was when, did, it was when he, it had to be when he figured out that the, that things were about James and Lily, right? Or that the very least that Riddle was going to target them. Okay, here's a Snape timeline. Let's see if we get anything out, um, different out of that. Let's see. Which would be in 1980-ish. Okay, in 1980, Snape overhears the prophecy and rushes to tell Voldemort. There's no. It just says 1980. But it was when he, they they Dumbledore had to reveal to them. Okay, okay, De- okay. This hap- this happened um, sometime in either earlier or mid nineteen eighty because in late nineteen eighty. Death Eater Severus Snape sent a message to Albus Dumbledore to meet him at a lonely windswept hilltop in in nineteen in late nineteen eighty, so he could warn him that Lily Evans Potter and her child were in danger of being attacked by Voldemort. That was revealed in Deathly Hallows chapter thirty three. Late nineteen eighty. So why would they have waited so long to go into hiding? Because Dumbledore didn't tell them. Okay, so the only two children born in July of 1980 were um, Neville Longbottom and Pure Blood and Harry Potter. Half I find that deeply unrealistic. Um, it took place after Harry's birth, which is why they're saying late 1980. But when did Dumbledore tell? Okay, Snape is hired to teach potions in 1981. Okay. Here's here's some contradiction for you. During her two, during J.K. Rowling's 2007 appearance at Carnegie Hall, she mentioned that James and Lily were full time fighters for the Order until Lily fell pregnant with Harry, and then they went into hiding, which contradicts her 2004 World Book Day statement that it looked like the looked looked as if the Potters would have to go into hiding at the time of Harry's christening. So one, she said that they went into hiding when she was pregnant, and her next statement said that it was when he was christened, and then she says in the 2005. MuggleNet Leaky Cauldron interview, however, she stated, at the time that they christened Harry, they were in hiding, leaving open the possibility that they went into hiding before Harry was born. It seems that J.K. Rowling changed her mind about when the Potters went into hiding between the Order of the Phoenix and the Half-Blood Prince. In Deathly Hollows 33, when we see Snape go to beg Dumbledore to keep Lily safe, it's autumn. The sound of the wind and the branches and through the leaves and the branches still fell, and the branch... 
leaves and branches still flew through the night air around them. This scene could thus fall late in 79 when Lily was a couple of months pregnant or in late 1980 when Harry was a few months old. But late 79 seems more likely given that the prophecy was worded the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, not has arrived, implying its subject was born at the name at the name Trelawney made at the wasn't born at the time Trelawney, Trelawney made it. There's a typo there. Um, but the thing actually, is, is yeah, I mean, yeah, she, I think she made the prophecy like sometime the beginning of 1979. Um, he takes it to. I think late, Voldemort. even though they're saying 79 makes more sense, I think 80 makes more sense because I think autumn of 1980 makes the most sense because he wouldn't know that Harry was. I mean, the, the prophecy with, itself, not when Snape and Dumbledore meet. No, I'm talking about the meeting. Um, now that happened in late 1980, I think. Right. So, but right. being in hiding and being under the Fidelis aren't the same thing. I think that if she had gotten pregnant, she definitely would not have been out there running around doing order business. And because they were already targets for Voldemort, because they were part of the Order of Phoenix, they would have gone into hiding to have the baby. Um, but that doesn't mean they were under the Fidelis in Godric's Hollow. True, true. But I do think, see, this timeline I'm looking at here on the Harry Potter wiki says that Snape probably told Dumbledore in 79, but I actually think that he wouldn't have jumped to the conclusion that it was about Harry until after Harry's birthday, until after Harry was born. Right, because Harry was born on July 31st. He could have easily been born on August 1st. Right. So he would, he would, and if he had thought it was about Harry, so the, the logic in this wiki makes no sense because if he'd thought it was about Harry, he would never have told Dumbledore the prophecy. I mean, not Dumbledore. He never would have told Voldemort the prophecy. So when he told Voldemort the prophecy, he had to have no idea Lily was even pregnant. Right. So I, I have to think that he went to Dumbledore after Harry was born. And he found out that Harry even existed, which means I don't think they went into hiding, actually, even go into hiding at all, probably until um, after Dumbledore came to them late in 1980. It had to be after his first birthday, though, because Harry Potter had a significantly large first birthday party. He has pictures of it. Well, I would say that that's a contradiction, because if... If Dumbledore finds out that about the prophecy late in 1980, which makes sense in the autumn of 80, which is they're saying autumn, but so sometime in the autumn of 1980, Dumbledore finds out that there's this prophecy. The only way I could think of that they could have a large birthday party would be that A, Dumbledore didn't tell them, which is, I think, likely. Or they had the party like a joint birthday party for like Neville and, and Harry. And it was not at their residence. Like they left also hiding. Likely. I don't think they were in hiding until after his birthday. Well, they were probably in hiding, but they weren't under the Fidelis. I think they didn't go under the Fidelis until Dumbledore told them and Frank and Alice that Riddle was targeting their children. And the only reason he told them that is because Snape told him. But that would have, have to mean that he knew for over a year that, that, that a prophecy had been made. Absolutely. I think and, he well, did. 
at least seven months. So let's seven or eight months. So let's and say he was waiting for it to happen so he could know who the chosen one was going to be. Maybe he was waiting. Maybe he was waiting to see which of them he thought had the magical potential. <gasps> Ooh. <gasps> oh. What? I just had an idea. Okay. What if children's first significant accidental magic typically occurs around their first birthday? Not minor things, but first significant ac accidental magic occurs around their first birthday. And so he's watching and waiting to see which of them is going to have this significant bit of magic happen on their birthday party. Maybe he even comes to the birthday party. Maybe he suggests a, a, uh, a, um, a birthday party for the two boys. Maybe they even have it. At, maybe it was even at Hogwarts outside somewhere. After all, Hogwarts is the safest place in Britain, right? Yeah, and if we do both, and both boys, their birthdays are only a day apart, and we can have them both together. Um, it'll be so safe for you here. Um, there'll be, you know, double the attendees to make sure that there's nothing dangerous going on. As he is actually, I have this funny headcanon that Neville's actually the more powerful wizard, but that his is totally earth magic based. And so it's my headcanon that Neville's accidental magic has always been earth based, that it's always about growing a flower or plants responding to him. And that's why he doesn't have like big flashy accidental magic. It's because his accidental magic is in the way that he interacts with nature. Like everywhere I, he goes. It's, it's actually my headcanon that um, Neville and Harry are equal in power. And that it didn't matter which one of them Voldemort chose. They were going to kick his ass. That Voldemort's the one that kicked that into the prophecy into play by right. the one he that's chose the, to go after. I think, I think fate doubled down. <laughs> so either way, she was going to get a win. Because that there was worked. this really awesome meme where it talks about Her how Harry was chosen and Neville was chosen too, because um, Harry was chosen to fight this once one significant battle, whereas Neville was chosen to fight a war. And a damn fine job he did of it too. So, um, I think it'd be very. In yeah, I think that'd be very interesting to explore probably in a different story, but I do believe they're equal in magic. I do believe that Neville and Harry both are equal to Tom Riddle. Yeah. And that she, you know, and that whatever magic de determined the prophecy was doubling down to make sure that w it didn't matter which one of them got to adulthood, that Tom Riddle wasn't going to make it. You're sunk, dude. Sucks to be you. Um, so what if that was it? What if that there's something, because I mean, I imagine that kids do stuff like summoning their baby bottle or whatever when they're hungry. Um, but what if there's something about magic that when they've hit their first year of life or whatever, that their magic does something, that they have major display of accidental magic. The very first one happens. Like their first, their, first, their first spark, so to speak. Yeah, the first time that they, you know, I don't know, make something, transfigure something, or make something they want just appear. You know, they conjure something the first time that they really maybe, want something. Maybe it's a solidification of their core. Yeah. And if they did it on Harry's birthday, Neville's would have done it the day before, and Harry's would do it that day. So he'd be able to check them both. Mm hmm. And when he figured out that they were kind of basically equal in power, he told both Frank and he told the, the two couples the prophecy. 
Uh, wouldn't that be weird if he's like, so I don't know this would appear in the story, but what if he's like super hype? He checks Neville when they arrive, right? And sees this Neville's core is like really bright and shining. And he thinks immediately that it's Neville, not Harry. And then Harry has his accidental magic right in front of Dumbledore, and he realizes that they're, they're basically the same. He's like, oh. Which makes him really kind of Machiavellian in a way, but that he's assessing these kids. But I think that's what he did anyway. That's why they were both in hiding. Yeah. And, and he always, it wasn't I, just their birthday. Yeah. The timeline that we're that's on the wiki and that J.K. Rowling put together doesn't actually make sense with the stuff she wrote. I mean, she clearly has a contradiction in her. So I think it actually makes a lot of sense that Dumbledore would have provided them safe haven for for a bit of normalcy, and so the boys can see each other and stuff. Because um, what if Neville and Harry had a really tight bond as babies before the going into hiding thing had started, and mm -hmm. they hadn't been able to see each other much, and so Dumbledore, you know, graciously is offering let the boys get together and, and, you know, we'll do it here. It'll be safe. Asshole. Just when I think he couldn't be more of an asshole. My head can improves me wrong. Yes. It's terrible. But if Armand Deering is James, James's godfather, maybe it's not something that's well known. Um, I think that um, it probably would have been done for his protection and maybe his education, but it wouldn't be something that was, um, very well known outside of yeah. certain circles. Sirius, um, but Sirius would know because it never cared that James. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> shut up, Siri. Did I say serious? <laughs> if I had think... a dollar for every time I told Alexa to shut up, shut well, up, Alexa. And whenever we're doing a plot drift or any kind of plotting where I mention Sirius a lot, she'll inevitably think I'm talking to her at least twice. <laughs> um. But yeah, that could be really, uh, really interesting. That um, I really, I really, I really like that whole that he he manipulated trying to figure out which one of them was the chosen child. Uh, and the serious would know that that James was a parcel mouth, and um, I don't think Dumbledore would have trusted James if he'd known he was a parcel mouth. Yeah, I agree. And so um, maybe because of the situation, um, like James had told Sirius, you know, well, I'll, I'll have to let Armand know, you know, later that, you know, Harry started hissing at snakes um, because, you know, Dumbledore's around too much right now. And I just don't want to create the tension. I just don't want to deal with the issues that I don't want to deal with Dumbledore's prejudice against parcel mouths right now. So I'll have, to, I'll have to get in touch with Armand some other time and then he never gets the chance. And Sirius would know all that. He would know that James was pleased about being a parcel mouth, but that he understood the politics about it in Britain, so he kept it to himself, that he didn't have tight contact with his godfather as a result, that they kept in touch, but that, you know, that he hadn't been able to and see And it could them. be that Armand has never even met Harry. Yeah. Because of the war and the circumstances, and it would have been difficult for James to take... Um, I mean, he honestly, because of Armand's politics, because of Armand's politics, um, they wouldn't. Um, that being being publicly associated with uh, a borderline dark wizard could have gotten 
could have changed his relationship with the Order of the Phoenix. And he was depending on the Order of the Phoenix to help protect his family. Mm -hmm. Which was a mistake, but he was young. Well, he incredibly may young. So. Well, he may he may have trusted two different sides, right? He trusted his godfather, but the Order of the Phoenix was living in Britain. Armand didn't live in Britain, and they were who he had available to him. So, you know, he was once the war was got really bad, and especially once Lily became pregnant, he was not as, as in touch with his godfather. Might have preferred to be, um, and so. So I think Armand's in Paris right now. Um, probably has been in Paris for a very long time. But he'll come back. He'll come back if serious calls for him. Just, you know, honestly, even if I mean, he would be like, okay, well, I'm either going to get um, a really good fucking reason why I shouldn't kill this asshole in the middle of St. Mingo, Mungo's, or I'm going to hear a very entertaining story. <laughs> either way, it's worth the pork key trip. Well, because if, he, if he's aware, if he gets notified that there's going to be a trial for serious Black, because he was never on trial. He's going to probably be instantly suspicious. What do you mean there was no trial? Why is he just now getting a trial? No, well, 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 wait. What do you mean the Black Family Magic settled on him in Azkaban? That's not the way that... He said, that's not the way that works. It shouldn't be the way that works. Maybe he's already come back to Britain for the trial. He could he went, once he heard there was going to be a trial because I would imagine it would make international news. So once he hears there's going to be a trial, he could hot foot it back to Britain. And he want to see justice for his godson. Yeah. And if that justice involved figure finding the person who was behind it and not Sirius Black, he'll be on hand to do it. Because he has to be thinking that that's part of the problem, that that's a factor, right? He said, because he's so if he's believed all along that the guilty man was in prison, and that's why there was nothing more for him to do, and now he finds out this guy's got hasn't got a trial, he's got to immediately think that one of the possibilities is that Sirius Black isn't guilty, which means if Sirius Black isn't guilty, the guilty person has been running around free for 10 years, and that's a hell of fuck no from Armand Deering. So he books it back to. The UK. This splits my POV, I think, between Sirius and Armand. I think that's a solid choice. Because for a Not while, yet. Sirius is a more of an unreliable narrator for a little bit. Because right, because he's, he's, he's fucked, fucked up. up. Right. So having somebody whose point of view is clear early on is going to be, I think, really vital to your storytelling. Um, but the thing... Maybe he was in France when the war was going on, but he comes back afterwards. Because if I'm going to give myself those two POVs, I think I need Armand Deering to be sitting in the Wizard of Knot when Lucius Malfoy is denied. Also, I want to give myself a third point of view, which I don't. Well, but you, mm. if you're writing the denial, the denial could be a... If you write prologue. it as a prologue... You can, well, that's just, that's, if I need an extraneous point of view, I'm going to put it in the prologue. It could be the, it could be Arthur's point of view. Who? Arthur. That way I don't have to say Wizzy Court. <laughs> oh, oh, um, it popped. I didn't hear it. I didn't actually hear it. I'm trying not to say, 
I'm trying not to say whizzy court. Um, the it makes court. me sound like I'm four. Um, <laughs> the whiz, the whizzy the the whiz and the magot, the whiz. We when we, when we, when we publish this, there's going to be like 25 people commenting on it, telling us how to pronounce that. I'm I telling you right now, the listeners, I don't want that. I don't want those comments. Oh. Um, it's too late. So it's gonna... been a year, at least, since this podcast was made. You don't need to give me information. I probably have already... Really? That's how that's pronounced? <laughs> I don't it's want the American pronunciation. Why would I want the American pronunciation of a British word? All right. Let's hear it. With Tenegamote. Gamote. It, say it again for me. Wittenagamote. That's the original word. Yes, that's that's what the Wizenagamote is based on. The Wizenagamote. Wittenagamote. It's a But I'm gonna have I'm gonna have it forever say it slow. Tenagamote. That's what she's saying. Okay, and let's hear this horrible American pronunciation. Wittenagamote. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know why Wait, we need. I don't do know they why. Say we, it in, do they say it in, in Harry Potter? They do, but it is. It, it's really. They say it in. Uh, I want to say it's the. It has the to tri- be the, um, the, the trial. The, tri- the trial scene um, before the order at the beginning of the Order of the Phoenix. But um, there's actually a video on Harry Potter folklore on the on YouTube called "The Wizen Magot Magot Gamot Explained." I'm gonna go with Wizenagamot because because that Wizenagamot is based on Wizenagamot, so it, I'm assuming the pronunciation should be the same. Wizenagamot. So, so Wizenagamot is what we're gonna go with, and if if in a year from now, if someone's listening to this podcast because Kira crossed the finish line with this story, I'm not interested in your opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> We've made our decision. It is final. Wazinagamote. <laughs> Wazinagamote. Yes, that's, that's what it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, if I do the... I don't want to pick a um, a POV in the prologue that I might be tempted to use again later, like say Jonah or um, you know one of my OCs. Um, the only other POV that I might need during the course of the story is Dumbledore's, and he would be there because taking a peek in on his actions every once in a while can be really amusing, especially when you're you know making him the antagonist. Yeah. So having that POV established already, you know, three three is okay. It's not great, but this is probably at least going to be a hundred k. So, well, I think three is is suboptimal. I think three is suboptimal for a romance, but I don't have a problem with three or even four in something that is not as as romantically focused. And this sounds. Right. I mean, I don't. No, I'm it's not a romance. I'm assuming you're doing something that's more plot focused than romance focused. So. Although I do plan to give him somebody because Sirius needs all the love. He does. He, he and, and and he probably is really needing to get laid. He needs hugs yeah. and he needs to get laid. Yeah. And probably he needs the order. hugs and he needs the D. 
That's right. <laughs> I think the D's going to come from Zale because what better present to get after 10 years in Azkaban than a magical version of Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> I'm sold. What? I'm sold. Sold, yeah. So. I am totally sold on, on Tom Hiddleston as a present. I I would like them to have not been in a relationship before um, because that adds another layer of betrayal that Sirius would have to work through. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I'd like it to be to be kind of new. Um, like maybe Zale is a member of Armand Deering's conclave. Uh, he comes when he when he comes to help when Armand calls. For the, I imagine that after Armand realizes what's going on with Sirius and how Dumbledore can't be trusted, that he's going to take immediate custody of him and remove him from St. Mungo's. And that all of Sirius's healing will be done by their conclave in private. Which means I'll probably have to I'll probably include the Grand Nadir in that. And if that's not how you say it. That's how I say it. I don't care how you say it. <laughs> People listening to this podcast later. <laughs> It all, and then when it comes to this, it only matters how Kira says it. Um, I think the actual word, the the N word, is actually Nadir or Netter. Um, Netter. But uh, I use that as a guide to create this, and not the actual. You know, so just just, just work with it. Let it go. So the Glendagir is Armand's conclave. Um, which is a nice bit of um, world building I don't have to do because I've already done it. And if you you could do a little bit, well, this would be this would probably be pure. I don't know if it's id or reader service or what, but it is my head canon and always has been that um, a parcel a, a parcel magic healer could have healed the the long bottoms. I agree. I agree. I also think it's it's my headcanon that if Sentinels and Guides existed, that a guide could probably have pulled Frank and Alice both out of their minds. Of the place where they'd hidden. Yeah. Because they're not... Um, I've seen some people like write it that there's actual uncurable damage done to their brains as a result of the... But I think canon makes it pretty clear that what's happening with the uh, the Cruciatus is that they are, they go crazy from the pain. And so if they are in a catatonic state because of, you know, I would think that there's a way. That's, from... a, that's a mental trauma, not yeah. physical trauma. I think if anything, it probably might damage magical channels. Yeah, but I would think that it could be healed, which was, which is the way I, you know, I wrote it in Southern Black that it's, that it, a parcel mouth has the ability to to heal that um and actually i think it's southern black i did it that the cruciatus is actually a, a somebody was discovered because they were trying to um convert a parcel magic um nerve regeneration spell into into um something for regular wizards and they got pain instead and that's why um that it's it, that it actually uh 
was part of the downfall of parcel magic was the adventure of the Cruciatus is because it was said, well, this, if you know, parcel magic was not so uh, corrupt, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had this unforgivable curse that came out of it. When in reality it was because it was somebody who wasn't a parcel mouth trying to use it. See, it's my head, Ken, that that curse is actually um, a version um, of um, it's a, a take on um, a CPR spell. And when it's done by a parcel mouth, it stimulates the heart, like during heart attacks and stuff, like paddles. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's done by a non-parcel mouth, it can't be controlled or focused, and it turns into a pain curse. So, either way, we like the idea that Armand could heal Frank and Alice. Armand and his conclave. But I think also that it's also in my head canon that Dumbledore didn't allow Frank and Alice to be cured. Yeah. Because they were an obstacle into keeping control of Harry Potter. And that's even when I when he's kind of like not even a really, really bad guy. I still think that he probably interfered with their care to make sure that Harry Potter was under his control. Yeah. Well what if good. if you wanted to go with you know full Machiavelli with him, like his for the greater good thing, is what if um oh this is that's interesting. What if Augusta of course, was looking for anything to treat. And even the bias against parcel magic, parcel mouths, wouldn't have prevented her from getting treatment from a parcel mouth if she could get it. But Dumbledore obliviated her and convinced her that Probably she more than once. And convinced her that she couldn't go that route. And that one of the reasons why she's so kind of irrational about Frank is the result of this this impulse to get him help and the effect of these obliviations and mind control making her stop. And it also could be behind her treatment of um, Neville. Neville. Yeah. Because Dumbledore has picked his pawn and he doesn't need Neville Longbottom in the way. Which is why he's been given his father's wand, which is to to stymie his magic. Um, maybe he isn't actually like, um, maybe there is not, he's not actually kind of physically control Neville's magic, but they've handicapped him with a wand that isn't going to work with his magic. Um, and because he's, and because his magic has been funneled into, maybe Neville's own grief about his mother is the reason why his magic has turned the way it has. Um, and that he associated, even when he was very, very small, plants with his mom and so he tended to retreat into her greenhouse when he was very upset especially since his grandmother spent so much time harping on frank and calling neville stupid for saying that alice is aware and for for keeping her little wrappers that she keeps giving him and so in his grief he's funneled his magic into um the green arts and he doesn't even know it i like that because he's trying to stay connected to his mom. And he could actually have right. an actual connection to his mother. Um, he might. She might have given him green magic. Maybe it's a, a family gift from her family. Something that would have been recognized and celebrated if she was there. But isn't. Because she's not. Because she would have recognized it and seen it if she had it herself. Which could be how Neville knows that she's aware, as he can feel through his magic that she is aware of his presence. 
I'm making myself sad. I know. Now you definitely have to fix this because I don't want to be sad. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be in a position where you'll actually read it. By the well, time I, it I, I'm not going to read any other Harry Potter. So that is this come if this comes comes down the pipe, I'm going to be I'm going to be able to get all in on it. <laughs> Just got that. People can't be trusted. <laughs> Truthfully, if you were serious black, would you have forgiven Remus Lupin? For which part? Right? Okay, so do you forgive him for not even visiting you in Azkaban and asking you why you did what you were accused of doing? If 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 he just decided not to, um, no. Although it's my headcanon that Remus was not allowed to visit. Do you forgive him for fucking off and not even knowing where Harry Potter is? No. No. Remus, Remus's trust in Dumbledore was so blind, you know? Um, Maybe Remus is one of the ones trying to get him to give the proxy to someone Dumbledore trusts. Yeah. Could be. Because it's like Remus, I think Remus felt, I think he 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 Remus, in, in some ways, Remus is a really pitiable figure because he is so brainwashed into this idea that he's a monster and that he owes Dumbledore everything, you know, um, mm -hmm. that it, it makes him a really difficult, uh, it, it's, just, it's just difficult to deal with him um, because it makes him not particularly trustworthy for anybody who is not in Dumbledore's pocket. I mean, I certainly have seen and read and even written interpretations of Remus where he gets his head out of Dumbledore's ass, but there's no doubt in my mind that at the, at the beginning of what we see in canon, that if Dumbledore said the sky was, was pink, um, Remus would be wondering what spell was used to alter his own perception of it. <sighs> That's really sad. And also, but also, Remus could just be driven hugely by fear, right? That if he, that maybe he knows Dumbledore isn't doing the right thing, but he worries if he challenges Dumbledore, um, that he's going to wind up executed, which is potentially, if he thinks he has reason not to trust Dumbledore, is a reasonable fear. Because if Dumbledore were to, to, to use the weapon he has against Remus, which is um, Remus's life werewolf. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, the penalty for Dumbledore interfering in that way or using that against him is death. And so I think that Sirius might forgive Remus on some level because he recognizes that Remus is in a life or death situation with his lycanthropy. Um, but I don't think he would ever trust Remus, realistically. I don't think he'd ever trust him. I don't think he would trust him with anything really important because it, Remus has proven that the weakness that Sirius assumed, thought he had, what did indeed was indeed bigger than anything, right? It's understandable, but I so I think it's one of those cases where he might forgive, but he can't afford to forget. And he, yeah, and he can't afford to trust. He especially can't trust him with Harry, right? Um, not at this point, and, and maybe never again. Um, but whatever trust they might have had between them has been permanently damaged by, by what's happened. 
That's why in Slytherin Black, I had that Sirius wouldn't let him know anything about or see Harry until Remus had sworn magical oaths not to um, do certain things. And Remus wanted to promise that he wouldn't hurt Harry. Um, but Sirius was like, that's not enough. Because if your perception is that I'm a danger to Harry, you're going to not be breaking your oath to try to take him away. If you've been convinced by Dumbledore that I'm a threat, whether it's true or not, then you're not, then you're then you're. I can't afford to let you in. I can't afford to trust you. I can't afford to let you pass our wards because you have a vulnerability that Dumbledore can exploit, and I can't afford to take that chance. So I think that this is a case. This is a classic. I actually think the whole forgive and forget statement is bullshit anyway, because forgiving somebody is one thing, but forgetting what they did is just fucking stupid. It also it um implies on the on the person that it's their responsibility to get past what was done to them. And you don't gotta get past shit. Right. Well, I mean <laughs> I'm actually You can I mean, move on from it, but you don't gotta forget it. Right. I and I'm I'm that's one of those things in life that I'm pretty good about when I something happens. I can forgive people, but I do not forget. I don't care how close I am to them, I do not forget. Because otherwise we're doomed to repeat this cycle again just going to keep on happening and I just don't think so. Okay. So, so, okay. He asked Armand to be his proxy. They go to court where Armand requires that he be dosed with that Verity, Verity Verit serum. Veritas serum, yeah. Veritas serum. Because I think he would. I think that at that point, he probably would not have told the whole story. He, he, he couldn't have been told the story. I think that he would have been allowed to meet with Sirius to get the proxy. They wouldn't have been given any alone time because Sirius is still a prisoner. Um, even if he is under the, under the care of a healer at St. Mungo's. Right. It could be a very controlled circumstance. Um, and that maybe, no, I don't think anybody would expect him um, to to come down like that because he's supposed to be make me or probably acting in Sirius's best interests. And then for him to actually suggest it first, they're all giddy except for Dumbledore because they're going to get the truth. They're, they're really excited. They get to put that, they, they get to use this on a pier and, you know, get all the information that they want in a situation they probably would, shouldn't be able to, but Armand is who he is and he don't give a fuck. And he wants the truth. Every time I see the Chad, it makes me <laughs> the Chad. <laughs> the Chad. It makes me giggle. It makes me giggle on the inside. So maybe he was the only. Maybe um, that the uh, truth serum could only be grant. Can, can only be taken by a peer with um, their own, um, like through their own volition. But Sirius isn't competent. Dumbledore couldn't protest it. Not, I mean, it would be like, what the fuck do you mean we can't? We've given been permission by his proxy. Why do you? Why is this a problem for you? Don't you want the truth? Well, we know he doesn't want the truth, but he couldn't say that out loud. So he'd have to allow it. Yeah. So Sirius testifies, and of course he's innocent. Armand's probably gonna go blow a fucking gasket in his own way. 
flips his shit. That's my note. Armand flips his shit. <laughs> so, Peter Pettigrew. As this happens, let's see. If he gets... Let's say this happens mid-February. Maybe the Wizzy Court, the Wizzigamote, um, meets the 15th of every month. Like, like that's their standard session outside of emergency sessions um, and court proceedings. And that's when Lucius tried to, July, January 15th, Lucius tries to get the proxy for his son. And they figure out over the course of the next couple of weeks why it didn't work. Um, and they get serious out of jail. And so mid-February, they come around to do another session, their standard session. And Armand takes the seat on February 15th. Which means Peter Pettigrew is at Hogwarts. With, with uh, Percy. Um, and the with twins, right? Or no, he with Percy. Percy right. Weasley and the twins. Well, he's he's Percy's he's Percy's pet because he doesn't become Ron's pet to that summer. When Percy gets a owl for making pref prefect 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 prefect. Um. So Peter is Percy's pet all the way through probably mid July when the letters come out. Or August 1st, whenever letters come out for regular students. Yeah. And then Percy gets a owl for making prefect. I get to do a big court scene. I get to do two big court scenes. Maybe more, depending on how many people Armand puts in jail. Uh, we gotta love, love, we love a big court scene. Unless he just kills them all, which is entirely possible as well, because he is Armand. Okay. So, I think after that, Armand would take custody of... Takes custody of Sirius Black. Probably very soon after that, Harry. Yeah, he would. We can't let a... We can't let a parcel mouth... Have custody of the boy who lived. You can go fuck yourself, Dumber um Albus. I don't care what you think. <laughs> if you would let hey, he could just come back. Hey, if you would let Sirius have custody of Harry back when Harry when this all happened, you wouldn't have to let Harry, the boy who lived, be in the custody of a parcel mouth. You brought this shit on yourself. Retrieves Harry Potter. Oh, when he finds out about the cupboard under the stairs. He's not going to be happy. What are the canon circumstances? I mean, all of the Dursleys actually being a little bit worse than they were in canon. Um, so, what are what are actually, I mean, just, just get my head canon um, out a little bit. But what are, okay, he's sleeping in the cupboard. At that point, yeah. They haven't even made a, 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 an attempt at the bedroom yet. Right. So, it seemed like he wasn't getting very good meals either. Is that canon? Well, yeah, because Dumbledore, when Dumbledore talked to Harry um, about 
his circumstances in childhood. What was that in season in book six? He talked about Harry being a little thinner than they expected, a little this, a little that. But remember that line? Or am I thinking, am I, am I conflating fan fiction? See, I do the same thing. So I'm, I'm over to Harry Potter. I put in how did the jerseys and the very first question in Google was how did the jerseys get off that island? It's a good question since Taggart takes the boat. Mm. Okay. Here's it. Here it is. Um, Despicable things the Dursleys do during the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. I found some I found a quote, but I'm having a hard time actually finding it on the page. Okay. He's he's definitely bullied. I mean, I, I okay, the here's the here's the line. Um, Dumbledore felt massive regret for this is this is just somebody prefacing it. So, Dumbledore felt massive regret for having left Harry the Dursleys, but the protection they provided trumped all. Here's some chunks of the book, but they really explain fully why Dumbledore accepted the mistreatment for the greater good. And this is what he says. Five years ago, you arrived at Hogwarts, Harry, safe and whole, as I planned and intended. Well, not quite whole. You had suffered. I knew you would when I left you on your aunt and uncle's doorstep. I knew I was contemning you to ten dark and difficult years. You might ask, and with good reason, why it had to be so. Why could some wizarding family not have taken you in? Many would have done so more than gladly, would have been honored and delighted to raise you as a son. My answer is that my priority was to keep you alive. You were in more danger than perhaps anyone but I realized. Voldemort had been vanquished hours before, but his supporters, and many of them are almost as terrible as he, were still at large, angry, desperate, and violent. And I had to make a decision, too, with regard to the years ahead. Did I believe that Voldemort was gone forever? No. I knew not whether it would be 10, 20, or 50 years before he returned, but I was sure he would do so, and I was sure, too, knowing him, as I have done, that he would, he, that he would not rest until he killed you. Um... While you can still call home a place, while you can still call home the place where your mother's blood dwells, there you cannot be touched or harmed by Voldemort. He shed her blood, but it lives on in you and in her sister. Her blood became your refuge. You need return there only once a year, but as long as you can still call it home, whilst you are there. He cannot hurt you. Your aunt knows this. I explained what I had done in the letter I left with you on her doorstep. She knows that allowing you to house, allowing you. The allowing you house room may well have kept you alive for the past 15 years. And then it says later in the book, he yelled at the Dursleys himself. You did not do as I asked. You've never treated Harry as a son. He has known nothing but neglect and often cruelty at your hands. The best that can be said is that he has at least escaped the appalling damage you've inflicted upon the unfortunate boy sitting between you. The magic I evoked 15 years ago means that Harry has powerful protection while he can still call this house a home. However miserable he has been here, however unwelcome, however badly treated, you have at least grudgingly allowed him house room. This magic will cease to operate the moment Harry turns 17. In other words, the moment he becomes a man. I ask only this, that you allow Harry to return once more to this house before his 17th birthday, which will ensure that the protection continues until that time. What? What's the quote about the thinness? Do we get that? Or is that... Let's see. I thought he said something about him being thinner, but maybe it was... Maybe the quote was the thing about him being whole. Um, he, yeah, he says... It's that first line. Five years ago, you arrived at Hogwarts, Harry, safe and whole, as I had planned and intended. Well, not quite whole. You had suffered. I knew you would when I left you on your aunt and uncle's doorstep. 
which contradicts what he says to the Dursleys, right? Because he says in that other quote that he had asked them to care for him as a son. But then he says to Harry, he knew Harry would have a difficult life living with them. He knew it when he left him there. Because they were the worst sort. Mm -hmm. Then there's Aunt Marge and her vicious dog. Although, honestly, I think she might pale in comparison to the dog. I mean, the dog might pale in comparison to her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the dog got usually the thing, you know, it got whatever it got from her. So. Did you see in the Harmony group that someone asked um, if anybody had the FaceApp app, if they could do the gender swap thing for Daniel Radcliffe so they could see what he would look like female? No. How'd that turn out? Um, Harry's a pretty girl. Um, <laughs> well, he's a pretty kid. Or a man. He's a grown man. I should stop calling him a kid because he is, in fact, an adult. But Grown-ass adult. This is true. But, I mean, not every... Well, that was a big image. I put it up in our chat. Well, he is a cute girl. And I see the facial similarities, so I see what the app has done. Um, Widen the eyes. Narrowed the nose. Arched the eyebrows a little bit more. But basically, the brow shape is very similar. Um, chin's a little... Giving it a full... The lip. Yeah. The lips are a little wider. A little fuller lip. A little bit narrower chin. More prominent cheekbones. Cute. The Horcrux, for fuck's sake. Oh, Armand's going to lose his shit. Yeah. <laughs> All the things that Armand is going to find out and want to kill somebody over. How many things does Armand want to kill somebody for in the story? Make a list. It could end up being... Armand Deering is a hit list. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't chosen the title yet, but that could be a contender. Armand Deering's diary, which in the I think that's what they call a calendar, right? In the UK, right? Mm-hmm. His diary. <laughs> Let me check my diary for today. Oh, look, I have someone to kill. It's finally Dumbledore's turn. I'm really excited. Quentin, get my cloak. <laughs> <laughs> they said, hold my coffee. You've got to hold my cloak. <laughs> Can I hold my cloak while I handle this? Because his nephew is Quentin Deadmarsh, and so he'll pop up too. I actually considered him for the pairing with Sirius, but um, Quentin's... Let's see how to put this. For me, Quentin is kind of hard. He's... um. I think that after 10 years in Azkaban, Sirius needs a softer touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I think he needs a little more hand, uh, a little more care in the handling than, than he would get from Quentin Deadmarsh, who is, you know, quite a great deal like his uncle <laughs> as he was raised by his uncle. Because his parents were killed during the war as well. His parents were killed before he ever went to Hogwarts. Quentin Deadmarsh. Yeah. Um, so he was raised by Armand. Um, so he's a, so he's a he's he's made some pretty stern stuff. So I don't really think he's the, the right call for a pairing for Sirius even across the board. But it is tempting. Um, 
I was reading an article. It says about uh, whether or not Harry Potter um, is a Horcrux and how that could have impacted the Dursleys. Well, here's the thing: if Harry Potter being a real actual Horcrux instead of just kind of like an accidental Horcrux, if it was influencing them, why wasn't it influencing him? And literally everybody around Harry at Hogwarts. Why didn't the Gryffindors doors all turn into sociopaths? Right? Why are they fucked up assholes when he's not? He should actually be the very worst of them. Yeah. Because uh, clearly the Horcruxes have effects on things. Um, it was clear that it didn't take very long for them to have an effect because of the how quickly that the the necklace, the, the locket, and the and stuff all affected them when they were in the forest and stuff. Frankly, right? I think if it had been impacting them, they'd have all been bug nuts within five years. Well, but what I mean is that considering how quickly they were impacted by the Horcruxes when they found them. And the influence mm -hmm. it had on them and how quickly it did. If Harry's, the Horcrux and Harry was influencing people, it would have happened quickly. It wouldn't have Very. been. And so the Gryffindors who are around him all would have had significant personality changes within days. Within days. And so a long-term change can, a very slow, gradual change can slide under the radar. But we're talking the way the Horcruxes were portrayed in canon and how quickly they affected Hermi Hermione and, and Ron and stuff. That Cannon said that it was a very abrupt effect, right? Basically, it happened quickly. So there's no, you know, there's no boiled frog syndrome here. I don't even know if that thing is true about the frogs boiling, but it is a terrible, terrible analogy that often works for us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. Can you actually boil a frog? Dr. Carl's Great Moments in Science. It's abc.net.au. If you plunge them into boiling water, this is the myth, they'll immediately jump out. But if you place them in a room temperature water and slowly heat it to a boiling, the frog won't notice and will slowly cook to death. So claims the myth. How does the myth begin? Maybe this story began because, because frogs are cold-blooded and we humans are warm-blooded and our internal human thermometer measures the local temperature and we can shiver and sweat to maintain body temperature at around 37 Celsius. I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't looked this up. So it's basically it's used as a as a metaphor, right? It's a fable, right? Oh God! Yeah, oh, God. but somebody did try to prove it, and they basically proved first in real life a frog cannot jump out of boiling water. Yeah, but the other thing is a German physiologist in the 19th century demonstrated that a frog that has had its brain removed will remain in slowly heated water, but an intact frog will attempt to escape once it reaches 25 degrees C. So. But, okay, it says, remember what happened last time you dropped, an, you dropped some egg white into boiling water? The proteins coagulated into a mess of thin white strands. Unfortunately, the proteins in the frog's skinny legs would do the same thing. I don't need to read anymore. I'm done. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this. I'm done. Now we know that that's probably not a true fable, but just keep well, it, it could, in mind. It could be a true. It is a true fable, but it's not an accurate metaphor. Accurate fable. It's not an accurate fable. Um, <laughs> or any fables accurate? Well, potentially, but they're not accurate. It's not accurate as a metaphor because it just wouldn't happen that way. Um, but I think the thing is that I think that 
But the point is, is that with a Horcrux, there is no gradual thing happening where you don't notice that. I mean, I've had the thing where I've like, something's gone wrong with me and it's happened so gradually that by the time it's become a serious issue, you know, it's like, I've been like dealing with like severe pain for a long time. It's just, it half came on so gradually. If it had come on that abruptly all at once, I'd have reacted. So I don't think there is a case to be made based upon what we see in Canon for a slow corruption of the Dursleys because of the Horcrux. If Harry's Horcrux because of his mother's protections, and this is my belief, is if his mother's protections, because he's clearly not a deliberate Horcrux, he was not prepared as a vessel, right? And Canon makes it, doesn't, isn't it in Canon the vessel has to be prepared? It's a ritual for preparing a vessel to receive a Horcrux? I actually think um, it's my headcanon that Harry it, it is an accidental horcrux because it was an attempted possession and the um, the fragment of soul was attempting to possess him and take over his body, but that his mother's protections wrapped around it. Not only does Vernon have a habit of physically manhandling Harry, he also hit his own son. In chapter 3, this is from the Philosopher's Stone. Uncle Vernon looked so dangerous with his half-mustache missing that no one dared to argue. Ten minutes later, they were wrenched. They, they had wrenched their way through the boarded-up doors where the car, and were in the car, speeding to the highway. Dudley was sniffling in the back seat. His father had hit him around the head for holding them up when he tried to pack his television, VCR, and computer in his sports bag. So he's that kind of asshole. Not that we're surprised. I mean, I just forgot. I just forgot he hit Dudley too. So okay, in Chamber of Secrets, Chapter One, Harry paid dearly for his moment of fun, as neither Dudley nor the Hedge was in any way hurt. Opportunity knew he had really he hadn't really done magic, but he still had to duck as she aimed a heavy blow at his head with a soapy frying pan. Then she gave him work to do with the promise he wouldn't eat again until he finished. I mean, that's unambiguous, you know. Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 2. At first it looked as though Vernon, Uncle Vernon would manage to gloss the whole thing over. He shooed the shock masons back into the living room, promised Harry he would flay him with an inch of his life when the masons left, and handed him a mop. Aunt Petunia dug some ice cream from the freezer and Harry, still shaking, started scrubbing the kitchen clean. So the front, they were just terrible. H Harry's, clearly, Harry's clearly terrified that he's going to get the, the shit beat out of him at that scene. Yeah. I mean, they clearly were terrible in canon. Um, but I don't think you can, I don't think there's any foundation for, personally, I don't think there's any foundation for blaming it on Horcrux. Okay, it says, um, he was bearing down on Harry like a great bulldog, all his teeth bared. Well, I got news for you, boy. I'm locking you up. You're never going back to that school, never. And if you try to magic yourself out, they'll expel you. And laughing like a maniac, he dragged Harry up the stairs. Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 3. Harry ran down the stairs, two at a time, coming at an abrupt halt several steps from the bottom, as long experience had taught him to remain out of arm's reach of his uncle whenever possible. Yeah, the books were... Harry, Harry's 16 years old here, and he's still petrified of being hit by his uncle. So, how how did, how did Jake, considering that she wrote all this stuff, how could Jake Harry ever have denied that Harry was abused? 
I mean, I get, okay, so for, I, I figured she was just being obtuse about living in a cupboard, but she actually wrote the abuse straight in. I mean, I just, I hadn't gelled, it hadn't gelled in my head because it's just a tiny passage here or there in the books. But, so, okay, um, the next morning, however, he got up to find his hair exactly as it had been before Aunt Petunia had sheared it off. He had been given a week in his cupboard for this. You know, solitary confinement is actually considered, um, in some circles, uh, a crime against humanity. Well, I do think... It's considered cruel and unusual punishment. I agree that long-term solitary confinement is very cruel. A whole week in a dark cupboard. Harry already is sleeps in the cupboard, so the text is telling us that Harry was forced to stay in the cupboard for a full for all of his waking hours too, except for school. The escape of the Brazilian boa constrictor earned Harry his longest ever punishment. By the time he was allowed out of his cupboard again, the summer holidays had started. Okay. No more examples. It's starting to make me slightly queasy. <sighs> Okay. I've actually forgotten just how bad it was in the book. Well, it's because it's all spread out across so much material. And the majority of the content is not focused on that stuff. It's, you know, it's a, it, that's a paragraph out of, you know, so 200,000 words. Stone, he spends four solid weeks in that cupboard, except for when he's in school. Because his birthday, Douglas' birthday is July, June 23rd in this article. And UK schools generally get out for the summer the third week of July. That's four fucking weeks. <sighs> I want to set shit on fire right now. I just... I kind of thought I had exaggerated my headcanon a little bit, you know, for drama. But apparently not. Nope, apparently you didn't. Well, aren't they're not going to survive this. I mean, they're literally not going to survive this. I don't see... I, I don't. I can't see the character of Armand Deering not killing them. Well, I don't see that's a problem. Well, it's a problem for my plot because if he kills them, he goes to jail for murdering two muggles. Well, but he would... He, he's He's got to be the consummate Slytherin. He's got to be able to kill them in a way that he's not going to get back to him. Get, get, get back that it's not going to get... It's, he's got to be able to kill him in a way that he's not going to get caught. He's not an idiot. It's my head can actually that Armand Daring's a Ravenclaw. Because he was Slytherin enough not to get sorted into Slytherin. Well, <laughs> but because he... Did he go to Hogwarts? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, say, so, well, he, I, I didn't realize he'd gone to Hogwarts. I just figured that he hadn't gone to Hogwarts. Um, That's why um, Dumbledore hates him so much. They were in school together. But he still, even if he was sorted into Ravenclaw, he's still got to be a Slytherin, a true Slytherin at his core. Oh, yeah. That's why I said he, sl he was Slytherin enough not to get sorted into Slytherin. <laughs> so, but anyway, he's tough and cunning enough to not get caught kill put, killing some people who desperately need it. He actually could just take them, kidnap them, and put them in prison for a while. 
That's dark as fuck, but he's not a light wizard. Not, not, the, I mean, it, but I mean, for starters, they deserve some prison time, but he could just hold them, right? He could just hold them somewhere until everything was taken care of. Because if the wards don't fall in the house, you could make it proof that they're alive somewhere. Oh no, Dumbledore, you cast the wards on this house. Are they still there? Well, if they're still there, they must still be alive. So I guess my question becomes. Um, he's not a hothead. Armand's not a hothead. He is he's a very dangerous wizard though. Um, I would not say he would fly off the handle and kill them. And he certainly has enough evidence to put her and put, to put the two of them in, in prison. But Dumbledore might interfere with that. But Armand's he has a duty to Serious and hairy, which he would take very seriously. And he's a parcel mouse, so he could curse the shit out of them and they would never be able to find it. Is this my headcanon that reasons why most wizards find parcel magic to be so terrible and dangerous is that they can't um, see it? Yeah, maybe even only another parcel mouse could even do anything about the spell, assuming they could even figure out what was causing it. But I think that even if another parcel mouth did recognize that they had been cursed, that they wouldn't say a damn thing about it. Yeah, no kidding. Because I wouldn't cross all my daring. <laughs> well, it could also be not a curse. Except on Petunia. On 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 uh what if you could do something like that Armand um did a ritual to um call on Lady Magic or Lord Magic, whichever you prefer, for justice against Petunia. Because she's got magical blood, even if she's not actually got channels or a core or however you want to look at it, but she's from a magical lineage. So he could leave it up to magic and then nobody could contest what happened to her. So if she drops dead, Arma could be like, well, yeah, I mean, I performed a ritual asking for magical justice, but I didn't actually kill her. That wasn't my choice to make. I left that up to magic. I mean, there's always instant karma, which is, I think, a really interesting fan trope, but um, not not very original. Um, although I do enjoy a good karma curse. I think there are a couple of characters in, in canon that really, really deserve them. Mm -hmm. um, and Umbridge would be the number one. Yes. Or one of those, like a, like a threefold. Whatever you do wrong will come back on you threefold. Petunia betrays her sister and her abuse of Harry. And she betrays Harry. Um, so in some ways, her crimes against Harry are worse than, her, than, than Vernon's. But they're not so much worse that I wouldn't want him to be thoroughly punished as well. Because he's a monster. Right. But I think Dumbledore is only going to care about what happens to Petunia. True. So if Petunia's out of the picture, Dumbledore loses interest. You won't even be paying attention to what Armand Vernon. If he even if it if it even gets back to him. So if Petunia's taken care of first, Dumbledore can get all up in the arms about it however he wants, provided Armand can prove that he didn't actually kill her. 
And then Dumbledore loses interest. Vernon's just a muggle who has no biological or no blood claim to Harry. Why would anybody in the magical world care what happened to Vernon Dursley? Although in some fashion, I think if you're going to be true to Armand's character, he, they do have to die. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, neither one of them can come out of it alive because he's not, he's black and white, like I said. He's well, he's not that sort of wizard. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean forgive? I, I'm not that sort of wizard. <laughs> that's, not, that's not even in my lexicon. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Redemption? M maybe. In certain limited circumstances. Forgiveness? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's a reckoning right there. Because he probably keeps a list of people he's willing to sacrifice in case he needs it for magic. <laughs> well, I don't like them. <laughs> I need a magical sacrifice. They'll do. They're a real asshole. He's kind of like the Hannibal Lecter of the magical world. He don't eat people, but he does kill the rude. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I'm not going to eat them. I need to give my shit a title because I work best with... I, I need a title. Dude, the title thing, I've been working on the title. I've, I've been trying to work with the title for my story for since we had our thing, which was what, the 19th? Ugh. I hate titles. I tell you, if it doesn't come to me in like the first hour, it's all over. It's just going to be weeks. So you need a title. It's about justice, and it's about. Um, let's look at my themes. Oh, 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 oh! What? There was one of the stories that I was. Um, I was looking up justice quotes to come up with a title for the story that. Um, ugh. I think the 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 Teen Wolf story. I was looking up justice quotes, and the quote I went with is, um, "The dead cannot cry out for justice; it's the duty of the living to do so for them." Um, so that's why I called the story "Duty of the Living," but which is an awesome title, by the way. Thank it's you, great, great job. Um, but there was another quote that I almost used, and if I had used it, I would have called the story "Perpetual Will." Um. I mean, I'm going to the quote. I'm going to put the quote in chat right now. But the quote, it was by a, I believe, a Roman, um, basically litigator, legal, the legal, a legal dude. I can't remember what they called them. Um, but it says, "Justice is the constant and perpetual will to a law to every man his due." Hmm. It's close. I can see why it was a contender for you, but not quite. Let me see if I can find any other. I gave a whole list of justice quotes. Um, I, I, I put that in my um, in my story bible. This is a good quote too. I'll just paste it in. It's not as on point. 
In matters of truth and justice, there is no difference between large and small problems, for issues concerning the treatment of people are all the same, by Albert Einstein. This one's a little too on point to the state of our country. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Very much so. Let's look at judgment quotes. This is interesting. Um, by Robert Jordan. Men often mistake killing and justice for killing and revenge for justice. They seldom have the stomach for justice. Huh. That is actually very, very on point. Judgment is a negative frequency. Stephen Richards. What is a negative frequency? The concept of negative and positive frequency can be as simple as a wheel rotating one way or the other. A signed, a signed value of frequency can indicate both rate and direction of rotation. The rate is expressed in units in such as revolutions. A non-negative parameter of, with units of radians is angular. They went full math on me. <laughs> <laughs> you never go full math. <laughs> oh, that's not going to be very helpful. That one was a little bit obtuse for me. I had to read it three times. What did what? Um... Okay, so simply put, negative frequencies represent forward-traveling waves, while positive frequencies re represent backward-traveling waves. So a negative frequency is, is forward-movement. I like that. This thing that men, the one that I said I had to read three times, um, this thing that men call justice, this blind, oh, the blind snake. Oh, this thing that men call mm -hmm. justice, this blind snake that strikes men down in the dark, mindless with fury, keep your hand back from it, pass by it in silence. I shouldn't have had to read One that. One more time. <laughs> this thing that men call justice, this blind snake that strikes men down in the dark, mindless with fury, keep your hand back from it, pass by in silence. So they're saying to ignore justice. I'm not saying, to, I don't think it's saying to ignore it. I think it's saying keep, keep, um, don't, don't tempt justice is basically what I think it's saying. Don't draw attention. Don't draw justice's attention to yourself. Keep quiet, pass it by, let it do its thing. But I like that it called justice, the thing that men call justice, snake. the blind snake. This is one long ass title, um, quote. This is one of those moments when I actually regret that I do my brainstorming on paper. I like this quote a lot, but I think some people might get out of it that I'm calling Armand a blind snake. Mm, yeah. And they wouldn't get the context, even with the quote, because, because people. That was five lines written. <laughs> and give myself a hand cramp. Well, this is not at all on point, but it still made me go, ouch. The love of justice is, in most men, nothing more than the fear of suffering injustice. Mm. <laughs> uh, 
It's not inaccurate. No. Well, this is interesting. And from this, my title suggestion would be conflict of interest. <laughs> the need for justice grows out of the conflict of human interests. That is to say, if there were no conflict of interests among, amongst mankind, we should have never invented the word justice, nor conceived the idea for which it stands. <laughs> this would be a very obtuse title, tolerable accommodation. Justice... <laughs> Justice is the tolerable accommodation of the conflicting interests of society. And I don't believe there's any royal road to attain such a com accommodation concretely. It'd be, I mean, yeah. Judge a man by his questions rather than his answers. That's Voltaire, but not particularly on point for my needs. I think I'll know it when I see it. Whenever I see the word righteous, I'm reminded of that, of the movie Dune, when um, Paul um, calls himself righteous, and who is that? Is that Sting? Yeah, yeah. Shouts back, righteous? It's in my head every single time I hear the word righteous. I hear Sting screaming it. Thanks, Sting. <laughs> like I needed that. In my head since I was a child. You and your little blue bikini. <laughs> the righteous ones are always exhausting to have around. The righteous man takes his life in his hand whenever he utters the truth. George Bernard Shaw. When you're righteous, you don't have to tell people that you're righteous. No fury more righteous than that of a sinner accused of the wrong sin. I actually, I'm actually all in on that. Yeah. If you're gonna, if, if, if you're gonna say fucked up shit, I mean, at least be accurate. That's right. <laughs> Just get it right. So this quote is about the peace is not the absence of war, but the presence of justice. Um, I think I find that interesting conceptually when it comes to the, like the Harry Potter verse because um, what they had was the absence of war, right? Not not actual peace. They, they didn't they didn't have it because there there was no. So this quote wouldn't actually be true in that case, but they called it peace, but it wasn't. It was just the absence of war. I mean, yeah, because even was they still. They still existed in this ugly place, both yeah. mentally and emotionally. Say it, say it for me, or um, paste it into the chat so I can look at it again. And this other one, this this one also, this is this one isn't on point for your story, but it's um, it's an interesting quote. It says, "Justice should remove the bandage from her eyes long enough to distinguish between the vicious and the unfortunate." Oh, that is awesome! The vicious and the unfortunate. What, a, what an awesome quote. Who said that? Um, Robert Ingersoll. I feel like my title is going to be The Absence of War. Absence of War? Yeah. I think so. Because that's all they have. And I think the reason why they don't have actual peace is because they never had justice. 
No, even the Death Eaters are roaming free. Most, you know, Lucius is out. You know, I mean, only the most egregious of the Death Eaters were actually put in jail. If they wanted peace, if they wanted actual peace, they should have had. They needed some justice. And some education. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's my title. Just... Yeah, because Dumbledore, he could even go there. Dumbledore could be talking about at some point about how he was trying to secure peace or something. And um, Armand could say all you had was no war. Harrison Ford. This is the actual Harrison Ford? Yeah. Well, I doubt Armand Green uh, would actually quote Harrison Ford, but I could still get the the gist of the of the meaning into dialogue somehow. But it looked like he was maybe paraphrasing Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know what's Martin Luther King's. Peace is not merely the absence of war, but the presence of justice, of law, of order, in short, of government. Which is him quoting Albert Einstein. Okay. Which maybe... <laughs> Which actually makes a little bit more sense because he is the father of the. I mean, he did. Didn't he split the atom first? Adam first, or was that? Yeah, Einstein split the atom, right? So he was kind of like the father of modern nuclear warfare, in his own way. In, in and Oppenheimer way. built the bomb, but yeah, Einstein split the atom. Which it looks like um, Einstein might have been also paraphrasing a Dutch philosopher named Baruch Spinoza. So you could go back quite a ways. Because Spinoza said, peace is not an absence of war. It is a virtue, a state of mind, a disp disposition for benevolence, confidence, and justice. So these they're, they're kind of all on the same theme there about the absence of war. Um not being true peace, but it sounds like they each kind of they it's successively paraphrasing each other. And I think that of the people that Armand Deering might quote, I think this Spinoza guy could be the one. He's European. Yeah. He's a philosopher. You know, it speaks to his. His, his own education and, and how he might have ed been educated privately in Europe. You may have a title. You've at least got a good working title. I do. I like it too. I think it's powerful. Let's see what his guy's other quotes were. So what are your themes for yours? Themes for mine? Yeah. I'm probably going with the, which right now I'm favoring the Doctor Strange one. If I go with that one, um, my primary theme is going to be about like healing. Um, because I think at the end of the I'm going to start booting people off the server if they don't stop lingering in the podcast audio. Because <laughs> they're making me paranoid. Anyways. Just, just, just disconnect them. That's what I just right click on their name and I do. Oh, I you do? do? It's just annoying. Um, I think, yeah, I think that I've gotten a really good um, grasp of my main characters. I need to focus on what Sirius is going to look like coming out of Azkaban. 
um, that I want to have a, a realistic picture of his physical and mental health, but I also don't want to like um, create a situation where his recovery seems utterly unrealistic and not on par with what happened in Canon. Because by the time we see Sirius Black for the first time, we really see him. It's been almost, um, it's been, it's been, it's been almost a year since he was, since he escaped Azkaban. Well, true, but he wasn't exactly living in a way that would have, have encouraged any kind of recovery. No, but he was lucid and capable of, but he was quick tempered. And he was obviously not physically well, but he wasn't insane either. So, you know, well, the year, well, which I think actually speaks more to his animagus form than it speaks to anything else. But so his lucidity could have been recovered in that time, but certainly his physical health wouldn't have been. Right. But I think he's going to be a hot mess. Right. Um, but if you take where he was in canon, and even if you make it, it on par with where he was in canon when we first see him, and have that year of mental recovery be accounted for by the family magic, I think that that's, I think that works. So family magic impact. Um, I think he had nutritional issues because they don't seem to be feeding those people very well. They're probably, you know. They probably really should be investigated by the UN. Yeah. Well, I think he's going to be a hot mess physically, definitely. Um, like his magic is probably, magic is, the, these people's magic is probably what keeps them alive in there with them, you know, with probably the lack of nutrition and, um, which is, or it could be that like he's in the high security wing and that they only see the dementors in there basically, except for occasional visits and that they're treated much worse in those in the high security wings because the guards don't want to be around the dementors. But um, I think you could have him be at the same place mentally as when we first see him in canon and account for that, you know, year on the run equals family magic protecting his mind kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then you just have the physical issues to deal with, which Armand being a healer becomes, I think his mental issues are, are, are more of an obstacle for Armand than serious needing nutrition potions and he's going to be weak for a little while and needing lots of sleep or whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, I think he has an aborted grieving process going on as well. I think he's kind of stuck. Really. He's, you know, but, but between the Dementors and the lack of human contact that he's basically had since he was put in there, I think a lot of ways Sirius Black, even when we see him a year later, is is still stuck in those moments when he went to Godric's Hollow and found James and Lily dead. The, the, the Dementors made sure he never finished grieving. Every time they came into contact with him, it had to be Seeing those bodies is probably the worst memory Sirius Black has. Yeah. And he has to live it over and over again. And actually, it could be argued that the Dementors couldn't feed on Sirius as much as they could somebody else. Because Sirius didn't go in there with a lot of happy memories for them to take at that time. What was form fo foremost in his mind was the grief that... Um, he was experiencing. And the rage at his friends being taken from him and the injustice that their real betrayer was still out there. Yeah. So I would think with all of that being the forefront of his mind, there just wasn't as much the Dementors to feed on. 
I actually would imagine that the whole injustice angle would probably protected Sirius's mind quite a lot. That he's innocent. Yeah. Because they put him in a position where he can't protect his godson. He can't get vengeance for his friend who's who, who's lost. And he can't even get vengeance for himself. Yeah, being so put he's, in this prison. So I think that injustice probably just fueled these negative emotions in him that prevented any of that positive stuff from being where the Dementors could get to it. It's going to sound terrible, but they might have found him terribly unappetizing. I was thinking the same thing because all the things that were good have already been taken from Sirius Black by the time he ends up in Azkaban. He's lost his best friend and family because James Potter's family became his family when he was 16. So James, in a lot of ways, is like a brother to him. And now he's gone. And Hagrid took Harry to, for, to, to Dumbledore. Everything that could, everything beautiful and good that Sirius Black was taken from him before he ever got near a Dementor. All they had left to feed on was grief. Which is not what they want. At least not according to canon, right? Which they're used to giving to other people, not... <laughs> they're like, but, but I do have a question about Dementors. If Dementors feed on happiness, why don't they try to stimulate happiness in others? So to, to get that happiness emotion. Why do they make you really, really of your worst memories if they're feeding on your happiness? Yeah, that's complete contradiction, right? You'd think that they'd be feeding on your worst memories. They should be like little pixie fairies that flit around you and make you feel good. And then, you know, suck that right out. Let's look and see what the wiki says about Dementors. We're going to look at Pottermore. Let's see. They feed on human happiness and can extract souls with the Dementor's kiss. That's on Potter and Moore. They feed, though they are blind, they can sense and feed on positive feelings, draining their victim's happiness. Except that anybody near them isn't feeling happy. No. Is it because they're sucking all the happiness out and only leaving the misery behind? Well, it could be, except that the way they're described and the effect of them is that people are start reliving their awful moments before the Dementor is close enough to feed. Which doesn't make any sense. They should be stimulating really happy moments to feed on. Right, which should just, make then... Just yeah. saying, Joanne. Well, but then, okay, catch this, right? If that's true, if they feed on the happy memories, then a Patronus should be a wonderful snack. Right? It should be. You use your best memory to cast a Patronus, and the Dementor should be like, oh, that is so tasty. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I have another? But it does, and it scares them away. So it's like the, they're the exact opposite of what she says they are. Because if I needed to feed on something, it would be really terribly biologically poor, poor biological adaptation for me to stimulate in people the opposite of what I need be very skinny but they are very skinny truthfully they're very skinny there's something's happening something's fucked up happening in, in their evolutionary process things did not go well well maybe they can feed from far enough maybe they just kind of have to stay kind of like at a distance from the from the from people to in the prison they have to stay back enough to let them maybe in a prison people eventually start pondering the good times. They start pondering their good memories and it's enough for the Dementors to feed on. But I don't think Sirius would ever do that. No, he doesn't have anything happy left. 
It's all been taken from him. It's been stripped away. They they took his baby. That's all he had left. And so he's in there with just this incredible rage and this injustice and all this loss. He probably never sits there and wallows in the good memories. I heard a fic once where he thought Harry was dead. Um, and that he thought that Voldemort had actually won. And that's why he was never given a trial. And when it, when it finally, when he finally got out, when he finally realized that wasn't true, he lost his shit. <laughs> it's when Fudge came and showed him the picture of Harry at Hogwarts. That's when he knew whatever, all the assumptions that he'd made about life outside of the Azkaban was, wasn't true. But the thing is, I don't know why that she didn't make Dementors just feed off terrible things. Because that would make sense. That would mean um, that the Patronus would do what it does. It, that it repels them because it's it, built on it, happiness. And it would make sense and that, that they engender terrible, terrible feelings in people. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense that they feed on happiness. I was um, thinking that um, I could look up the long-term side effects of being a POW. Um, because that would be um, probably pretty close to the kind of situation that Sirius with Black would be in. I could see that. Very much like that, yeah. Because we, we, we know that he's um, he's being held in a cell by himself. He's being tortured. What are you eating? I'm not eating anything. I was getting some pills. Oh, because I got some mandarin oranges, and of course I was reminded of your terrible, no good, greedy brother. Yes. <laughs> that terrible, terrible okay. man. So, yeah, duh. PTSD is not on my list, and it fucking should be. I mean, I, I made a list of issues that are exactly PTSD, but I don't actually have it written as PTSD, although it probably would not be called that in the magical world. Although Armand is 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 a very educated man, so there's never any reason to believe that he would um, have also studied uh, muggle medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, depression. So... Cooper and Cohan found four to five four or five fold excess of hospitalizations for psychoneurosis, but not psychosis from world war II Pacific theater POWs. POWs were hospitalized for a variety of psychiatric illnesses, including schizophrenia, anxiety, alcoholism, psychoneurotic reactions, psychoneurosis, including anxiety and some and schizophrenia. Although schizophrenia, I don't think schizophrenia isn't environmental, is it? I get my shit mixed up. I didn't think it was, but I guess, I guess it. I thought schizophrenia was entirely genetic. The exact the exact causes of schizophrenia are unknown. 
Research suggests a combination of physical, genetic, psychological, and environmental factors can make a person more likely to develop the condition. Some people may be prone to schizophrenia, and a stressful or emotional life event might trigger the psychotic episode. Okay, so scientists have long known that schizophrenia sometimes runs in families. However, there are many people with schizophrenia who don't have a family member with this disorder, and conversely, many people with one or more family members with this disorder who do not develop it themselves. There is a genetic component plus environment. Exposure to viruses, malnutrition from birth, problems during birth, and psychosocial factors. Like being a POW. Yeah, obviously. Okay, so. Um, this is about psychological effects. I wanted to look at physical effects a little bit. Um, I just got to... Something beeped at me as I asked the question. I think it was sick Ninja Central. Let's ask a question. Someone's asking how to say Zernitra. Oh, that one. Yeah, that was a while ago. Okay, the current beeping is uh, someone in the Thick Ninja. Lady Holder being all helpful and shit. Okay. It beeped on my other headset, so I heard it, but like in the background, oh, this, this is one sour, sour Mandarin orange. Mm. Well, it's really off season okay. for them. I know, but I, I, I really enjoy them, so sour or sweet. Although this time of the year, I, I actually prefer navel oranges because they're really sweet this time of the year, but. I'm out of navel oranges, and all I have is my husband's sour mandarins. This is all time of the year. He enjoys eating them. So he likes sour stuff. Yeah, he well, he's it. married to you, so. Oh, ugly. Portent. Ugliness. <laughs> I put you in the corner, but there's no one in there for you to play with right now. That's sort of the point of being in the corner, right? Hmm. You're not supposed to be there with company. Not our corner. I don't remember what story it was, but I did read some story where where um oh god i can't remember which which kid it was it was some kid um got in trouble for scooting the timeout stool to the parking lot and you know dad whoever dad was was like well did you tell him he couldn't scoot it to the parking lot like well i think it's implicit so well you have to be very specific with him because he does not he doesn't break the rules that you give him. But if you didn't tell him, if you, all you told him was not to leave the stool and he scooted it to the parking lot, in his mind, he didn't break the rules. <laughs> That's accurate, though. <laughs> yes, so. Teacher's all huffy because, like, well, no, I didn't, didn't think to tell him he couldn't scoot out to the parking lot. You need to be very specific with some children. I was one of those children. Oh, I was too. That's why I used to empty the pea pods and leave the the pods on the vine because my mother told me to stop picking the peas. So I stopped picking. <laughs> so I did. I stopped picking the peas, but I didn't stop. She'd be, she be plucking the empty pea pods. That's <laughs> hilarious. I try to picture her face when that happened, when she realized what you had done. Oh, that is so funny. All those empty pods on the vine. Just like that's. <sighs> 
I guess it drove everybody crazy that I would go out there and eat all the peas. And they told me, you have to stop picking all the peas. And so I stopped picking them. Sit there and carefully pry them open on the vine and eat the peas out of them. <laughs> so one thing about the literal mind is that sometimes we're really good about finding loopholes. So I was going to ask you, so the thrust of your story, is it is it bringing Dumbledore down? Um, is that the ultimate? The thrust of the story is saving Sirius Black. And I think Dumbledore is just collateral damage. Okay. I don't want to focus. I don't want the whole focus to be on him. Um, I want it to be on serious living and getting to be in Harry's life in a very meaningful way and um, getting justice for what was done to him. And I think in that particular instance, Dumbledore just becomes collateral damage. So he's an ease to, he's a means to an end. Getting Dumbledore is. Well, Dumbledore's just a. Well, I think I think that's justice because he uses everybody else as a means to an end. Yeah, he's just a stepping stone on serious path to recovery. Right. And so far as you know, how events turn out and what happens, I mean, de dealing with the Horcrux and finding out there are a whole bunch of them will probably, you know, there's a thrust there that can't be ignored. Um, Which I, which I think will honestly be Armand's path after he gets serious, you know, somewhat situated. You know, he's going to focus on the Horcruxes. What can we glean about them? How do we find them? We got to get rid of them. Because I honestly would like, um, by the end of this fic, for Harry Potter to start to start Hogwarts and not have to worry about anything but being at school. Yeah, there'll be no three-headed dogs. Right. He's got his owl. He's got... He's making some friends. Maybe he goes to school um, already friends with Neville. Or it could be Draco, depending on how things shake out with Lucius and Narcissa. Or both. Because I don't always want to make them the bad guys. Or both. Um, he could be Hermione on the train, you know. Take her under his wing or whatever, you know, just to be, I just want him to be a kid and go to school and not have to worry about anything and not have to worry about going back to Privet Drive ever again. And just, you know, just to be really excited to have his wand and to have his school books and, and a parent, a dog and there's no specter of Voldemort and Dumbledore is gone and school is just magical. And he's got a parent. Wouldn't that be lovely? And probably something close to like a grandparent, I guess, an Armand. Well, Armand, in the, in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, Harry tells um, Cassius Arnaud, you know, that, Ar that Armand is as close to a grandfather he, as he's got. And he needs to watch his step and not disrespect him. And he meant it. As much as he cares about Arnaud, um, Armand Deering is basically his granddad. And he was not on board with how Arnaud was... Well, was acting um so yeah i mean you know yeah you know that's my grandpappy don't disrespect him <clears throat> you don't gotta like him but you don't need but but you don't fuck with him you don't even have to get along with him you just have to be respectful well i really hope the next one i open isn't nearly as fucking sour as this one because damn 
So, and Sirius is in love. I think one of the defining moments in the story is that when Harry goes to get his wand, he doesn't get the brother wand. I think that's the moment when the reader can know that everything is different. Everything has changed. Oh, yeah, because if the Horcrux is out of his head, um, and if, um, and especially it could be even if he's connected with his parcel magic, that um, he wouldn't resonate with the wand the same way. They give myself all the time. And I really, you know, earlier I made the decision that Arcturus would die in January. That's absolutely, it, it has to be in January because I need a lot of room. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to kick if off. If I'm going to have Harry on the train September 1st um, and all this settled, I need all the room I can get for it to be remotely realistic. Yeah, he's going to have to kick off really early. Is it Zernitra or Zernitra? It's an, I say Zernitra. 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 Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I definitely have to start in January. Um, maybe even closer. Um, maybe they do an emergency section. Because it's, it's kind of my headcanon that they would they, they probably don't have standard sessions on the first of, of, of any month. No, probably not. Um, so I think that um, because, you know, there's lots of, you know, there's New Year's Day, but then also the first of September um, and a lot, you know, a lot of tradition around Hogwarts. And um, I just don't think they would, you know, they're a very traditional society and how things are done. So I think outside of emergency sessions that they wouldn't have something on the first of a month. But maybe they do have an emergency session to replace Arcturus Black. Um Sometime the first week of January, because he dies unexpectedly, or you know, he dies. Because um, that gives me more room. Yeah, get it in as quickly as possible. And if it's an emergency, and trials, I, they, I would think they would have trials outside of regular sessions. So you wouldn't have to wait. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. have to. You wouldn't have to wait for. Um, you wouldn't have to wait for the next, like, February 15th session. I would imagine they'd want him on trial as soon as they could. And actually, Dumbledore might push to have it done as quickly as possible, hoping that son of non-compost mentis Sirius might not testify well. Okay. <clears throat> so, Arcturus Black dies the first week of January 1991. We have an emergency session. And they all believe that Draco is the heir, so of course Lucius is the, I'm going to claim proxy, and he gets denied. And then everything just kind of dominoes after that. And I have my little sub-romance plot. I got the Horcrux subplot. Sirius figuring out how to be a dad. Getting himself right. You know, health treatments, some rituals. There'll be some rituals, because I love rituals. The only thing I love more than a good court scene is a ritual. I I don't mind. I enjoy reading your rituals and I don't mind writing a ritual, but I pants my rituals. I'll be honest. Meaning, I plot the shit out of my rituals as as is evidenced by, I mean, well, <laughs> by I the mean, fact that I actually wrote out, that I actually drew out Harry's ritual circle for my last Well, 
when I sit down, and what I mean by pants is I don't make up any decisions about them until I sit down and do them. So it's like I get to that point in the story and I go, oh, I need a ritual. And then sometimes my writing gets derailed for like a day or two. It's like, oh, do I want to do cardinal points or ordinal points? Is there a reason not to do both? Maybe I need cardinal and ordinal points. <laughs> does it matter? Do they? Does, would seasons affect this kind of thing? What time of the year should this be? Would you should do cardinal? Yeah, we actually equinox. What equinox are we in? That was actually my rationale: is that it, you'd use cardinal points during the equinoxes, and you would use ordinal points during the solstices. That was my. That's what I came up with. That was, that's my, my ritual pantsing. Like, <laughs> so if I hadn't already named my story, I think it's working title would would be actually be court scenes and rituals. <laughs> Which would be unfortunate because that would end up being the actual title because it's ridiculous. They would have this ridiculous cracky title on this fic that's not remotely cracky. Or just Armand's list. <laughs> Armand's diary was very interesting that day. <laughs> It'd be Armand's, Armand's emo blog. <laughs> yeah, we don't need one of those. I don't. Armand's emo blog would have no emo. That's the problem. It would be Armand's murder blog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People Armand thinks needs a good killing. <laughs> Armand, no. Armand, yes. <laughs> I have plans. That could be that could be the most common line. Armand, you can't kill them. Are you sure? <laughs> give me a good reason why not. You might go to jail. No. I don't think give so. Give me give me five good reasons why not. <laughs> I'm gonna need more than one. I'm gonna need more than you might go to jail. I think that really hammers out this idea. And I'm pretty sure this is the one I'm going to go with. I mean... Because you're probably ready to get started. This is about the time when you start digging in. So you all plotted? I think so. Cool. Thank you very much. Anyway, I'm going to go take pills. And uh, whenever I drink as much tea as I had tonight... It's like multiple trips to the bathroom. <laughs> Old lady bladder. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>